Welcome to Money Management. I'm Mike Mayo with the Spokane office of the Opus 111 Group. We're here as we are every Saturday at 9 Pacific to talk with you about the markets and the economy and hopefully to uh, clear up some of the confusion about what's going on out there uh, in the markets and the economy. Uh, We're going to uh, cover the market news this week. I'm going to uh, give you some of the economic reports. There weren't very many that came out, but I want to talk uh, in more detail about this rotation that's going on. And uh, get into the outlook uh, for how things look going forward. Now, yesterday, we had another fine day. Uh, The Dow closed at 29,479. That was up 399 points. All three major market indicators were up over 1%. The S&P setting a new high at 3,585. The Nasdaq ending at 11,829. Gold uh, lower week over week. It was at 1884. Silver also down week over week at 24.59. Crude up by oh, about three dollars a barrel uh, from a week ago. It's at 40.20. The 10-year Treasury up uh, seven basis points. It's at 0.89 percent. And soft white wheat up a little bit. It's at 6.13 a bushel. So year-to-date, the Dow has provided a 3.4% return, the S&P up 11.1%, and the NASDAQ, that's up 32%. And again, that's from year-end. So I'd like you to know, too, that one of the main reasons uh, the markets were so good this week, well, there were two, one was, of course, Veterans Day, but the other, perhaps at least in my way of looking at the world, a little more important, it was the 245th birthday of the fighting, finest fighting force the world has ever known, the United States Marine Corps. So if you missed that opportunity to celebrate, please feel free to indulge yourself in your favorite um, beverages. So what do we got you know, there's a few economic reports coming out next week, not too many. The retail sales report, industrial production report coming out. Wednesday, we get a look at existing home sales and we talk briefly about uh, some real estate news that came out this week. And as you may have noticed, the headline continues to be very much headline driven. Uh, that is, the news du jour is effectively overshadowing what's going on in the economy and with many companies. You know, the virus is totally dominating the headlines. The media won't ever let you forget about it for a second. Uh, And then you've got computer traders coming in, and they are flipping and flopping uh, shares all over the place. So you see these big moves in the indices day to day. Uh, It has nothing to do with fundamentals. I mean, the companies aren't changing their internals that quickly. It would be impossible. It's just traders. So... uh, Pay no attention to the intraday noise. It's not worth your uh, concern in 99.99% of the cases. So far, with most of the companies in the S&P having reported their earnings, analysts are projecting that the third quarter profits fell overall about 7.5% from a year ago. That's according to FactSet. And that's definitely an improvement from the 21% decline that they had been forecasting at the end of September. See, these forecasts are hard to do. (laughs) The trouble is people remember them, and then you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And then one other thing that I think is uh, also very positive is that 86% of stocks 
that's all stocks, are trading above their 200-day moving average. That's the broadest the market has seen since January, the second highest in the last five years. So that says to me that's a pretty good marketplace. Now, let me share with you some of the economic reports that came out this past week. We had, uh, and this is from ZipRecruiter, their uh, job site, job search site. They reported there's 10.8 million job openings uh, posted on online, site, online sites, I knew I could say it, across the U.S. so far this month. That has the number of job openings in the U.S. less than 2% below where it was in February, uh, compared with a 46% gap that was existing in May. So, see, the trend, the trend is working. Always look at the trends of things. Now, the Labor Department reported first-time claims for unemployment insurance continued to go down, coming in much lower than expected, hitting another virus era low. That's a sign that the labor market is continuing to gradually improve. That's the fourth consecutive week that the total has declined from the previous week. And in addition to the weekly drop, we also saw a drop in continuing claims, which are the longer ones. So that's also good news. Now, inflation, well, it's kind of a mixed bag. Consumer prices, uh, inflation at our level, is up 3.5% annualized over the past six months. And that's uh, obviously above the Fed's uh, target of about 2%. But that's not going to likely change their plan to keep the short-term rates near zero for the foreseeable. That's because the drop in prices earlier this year, when you know, in the worst of the shutdowns, the consumer prices overall are now up only 1.2% versus a year ago. So that is the current uh, inflation rate, 1.2%. Still, the recent jump in inflation hints at the effect of all this money that came in, the M2 money supply, as it's called. And uh, and it's also how it how the supply chains continue to recover. This virus-caused shutdown is the first recession on record where personal income has increased. How did it do that? Well, pretty easy. Government stimulus checks and boosted unemployment insurance payments that replaced more than 100% of lost wages for a lot of folks. That said, I believe that uh, the economic recovery is definitely underway. The worst of the uh, <laughs> the worst economic quarter since World War II is in our rearview mirror and getting further behind. And the question now is, how quickly can we get back to normal? Well, there's a little note from the Fed this week. Um, Mr. Powell, the chairman, said that. U.S. economic outlook remained uncertain even after the week's positive vaccine news. He said, and I'm quoting, from our standpoint, it's just too soon to assess with any confidence the implications of the news for the path of the economy, especially in the near term. I uh, mean, he said with the virus spreading, the next few, mo few months could be challenging. Now, I'm not chairman of the Federal Reserve, but I think I could have said all that. Uh, you know, it... <laughs> I think what you can determine from that is nobody knows, and that's really the uh, the uh, I'm going to say the premise from which you should work. Now, real estate, just a couple points: the median price for existing home, excuse me, existing single-family homes in each of the 181 metropolitan areas that are tracked by the National Association of Realtors was higher in the third quarter than a year ago. Now, this broad-based rally is the first time since 1980 that every metro area tracked by those folks had an annual price increase in the same quarter. 
And back then, they only tracked 19 metro areas. So let's see here. Oh, yes. Record low mortgage interest rates have also motivated shoppers to get into the market. I don't think that's new news. And a long-standing shortage of homes for sale has worsened, increasing competition among buyers and sparking bidding wars. Oh, yes. And existing home sales have surged recently, reaching a seasonally adjusted 14-year high in September. And we've got existing home sales coming out next week, so we'll see if that's continuing. Now, prices in most markets weren't just edging higher, but are up a bunch from a year ago. In nearly two-thirds of the metro areas tracked by the uh, National Association of Realtors, prices were up by double digits. Nationwide, now here's one, the median single-family home price rose 12% from a year earlier to, guesses, the median single-family home price today, $313,500. That's median. That means there's more that are higher. Low mortgage rates more than offset some of the effect of these rising home prices for buyers. Uh, for the week ended, uh, what, a couple days ago, uh, Thursday, the average rate on the 30-year fixed was 2.84. That was up from 2.78 last week, but down from a year ago, and this is according to Freddie Mac, a year ago it was 3.75. Those are significant differences. But uh, the... Um, Head economist uh, Lawrence Yun from uh, the National Association of Realtors says, mortgage rates are unlikely to fall further from here as positive news about a vaccine is making investors more confident. I would hope that that is the case. Now, what about that vaccine? What did we do to the market? Well, we're running. <laughs> Timing is everything. Now, let's talk about uh, this past week, uh, certainly the front part of the week, when things kind of changed all of a sudden. Monday's huge move to new all-time highs had the percentage of S&P 500 stocks making new six-month highs also hitting a record reading. So let's just kind of look and see what, what this is all about. <laughs> This is kind of mind-boggling. The 10 worst-performing stocks this year through November 8th, in other words, they had done terribly of everybody else through the 8th of November, were up an average, an average of 23% on Monday and Tuesday. Everything seemed to go nuts. On Monday and Tuesday, the NASDAQ, where all the big tech names live, lost 340 points, while the Dow gained 1,100 points. And the S&P is off to its best November start in 65 years. Well, what fired all that up? It's hardly new news at this point. It's the announcement from Pfizer and BioNTech, B-I-O capital N capital T-E-C-H. That's a German company. And it's about their work on a virus vaccine. Now, Pfizer said that they expect to apply for emergency use authorization <laughs> emergency use authorization with U.S. regulators before the end of this month and could, operative term, have a green light to distribute the vaccine before year end. Now, their 90% success rate is much higher than consensus, which was in the 60 to 70% range. So that's certainly one reason why we had such a great response. And it's it, it apparently, according to the uh, seers, say that it's way more effective than was expected and a positive sign for stocks that move in tandem with the health of the economy, a.k.a. cyclical issues. Now, the Pfizer results haven't been subjected to what they call peer review, and the company continues to collect information on its trials. So those, you know, the, the news is preliminary, as it usually is with these. 
Also, for whatever reason, the vaccine requires extreme cold storage. So distribution presents kind of a logistical challenge. For this reason, it's possible that other vaccine candidates, if effective, may wind up being more widely used. I don't think that's the problem. The thing is, is that we've got one, pretty sure, and these other folks are not going to quit working on it because, you know, not to be too crass about it, but there's a pretty big ka-ching on the other end of uh, a successful vaccine. So I think that the motivation for people to keep working for a solution is uh, going to continue. Now, you know, markets are designed to react strongly in the near term, you know, reacting to the headlines. And that's what's happening. While the news in this case is certainly encouraging, it's going to take several months before any any vaccine is widely available. That's just because all the processes they have to go through forget manufacturing this stuff. Investors ahead of the election had grown scared. Oh, yes, that's an understatement. And cautious enough to create the makings of an upside reversal. In other words, things that were down so much, it's like you get this really chunky guy at the end of the diving board, right? And okay, so this time of year may not be the diving board isn't the first thing that leaps into your mind, but go with me on this. You get this big guy on the end of the diving board and that person leaps off. What does the diving board do? It flops straight up. I mean, a bunch. Well, that's kind of what you saw in the marketplace. Pin-up demand uh, for, well, direction, I think, is a good term. Um, so, the market, well, excuse me, the excitement, you know, is really, again, based on preliminary results from a small, a small number of patients and well, we'll see what the further tests bring us. But what's more, manufacturing and distributing, like I said, will take months even before, it pro- even if it does prove safe and effective. But I think overall, you know, it's attitude. The breakthrough is about as good as new- good news gets. Consumers and corporations are itching to spend money and get back to business. The pent up demand is immense. There are trillions of dollars trillions with a T sitting in no interest accounts all over the country, but shoot all over the world. And if there is any indication that things are normalizing in, in these regards, um, I'm not suggesting that obviously all that money is going to come racing into the market. That's stupid. But there will be a bunch that does. And new money doesn't come in to sell things, does it? It helps keep the market, if you will, uh, stable, if not potentially moving higher, in my experience. So, you know, even the 10-year Treasury climbed as the news, the vaccine news, drove folks away from bonds and into more risky assets, relatively speaking, which, of course, is code for stocks. Um, You know, names benefiting from people that have been staying home due to the shutdown, well, they all magically lost their appeal uh, following the release of the vaccine data. Zoom video, we all know Zoom. Oh, yeah, lovely machine. Uh, but in any case, its stock price, are you ready for this? Had risen over 600% from the start of the year up until a week ago yesterday. Monday, well, that was different. It traded down more than 15% even before the market opened in the pre-market. Fellow uh, stay-at-home stocks that have been benefiting so well, Amazon and Netflix, each dropped 3.4 and 5.4%. Shopify declined 5.1%. 
Now, at the, when the smoke all cleared and the dust settled, the Dow closed Monday. It was up 985 points, and that set a new all-time high. But intraday, it was up over 1,600 points. My eyes about bugged out of my head because I don't recall seeing that kind of a move, and I'm not sure when. Now, Eddie Elfenbein, he writes a great blog. Uh, he said many of the sectors that were hit hard by the lockdown, lockdowns took off. Cinemark, a movie theater chain, was up over 45%. Carnival Cruise Lines, up 39 Even Denny's was up 36%. Malls and airlines were recovering. Uh, you know, thinking seems to be that the world will indeed get back to normal, contrary to many opinions, I think, and that will lead to a stronger economy. Therefore, the spinoff is that that's good for banks and energy shares. Now, the energy sector has been beat to death by this virus. It's been down 52% since the start of the year through last Friday, a week ago Friday. But Monday, it led the market up by being up 14%. So, this also suggests this kind of recovery or potential recovery, suggests that interest rates may rise, and that led to a lot of weakness among housing stocks, because that's kind of a good reminder how broad the impact of the virus has been. It's also interesting to note that the big shifts came with little or no news specific to each company. Instead, the traders are playing the overall economic effect, or should I say the perceived economic effect. So just remember, among companies in the S&P 500 whose share price performance was flat or negative through 2020 through again a week ago Friday, 93% were positive on Monday. That's a pretty good return. Now, Tuesday, the tech stocks remain under pressure as they have all week. They continued a correction. It started building uh, from Monday. The Dow did arise again on Tuesday. Uh, and then NASDAQ did drop again on Tuesday, and uh, Chief uh, Amazon, Microsoft dropping more, uh, 3.5% by Amazon. I'm not sure. Uh, Microsoft was 3.4%. Um, Zoom was down another 9%. Uh, so, you know, they were uh, beaten about the head and shoulders, not because they turned, they did anything differently, but perceptions changed. And that's what happened on Monday. The perception, you know, the company fundamentals in all of these companies, or none of these companies, changed from a week ago Friday till last Monday. But the news, the suggestion that uh, we all will be able to get out of jail here in our lifetimes, well, that certainly changed the approach to the marketplace, and I think it's just the beginning of things to come. Now, I want to talk about this rotation that's been going on in the marketplace. It's been doing it for a few months now. But uh, this vaccine news really kind of uh, set it off uh, to a much larger degree. Now, let me back up and give you some context into how I'm coming at this. I am of the firm belief that we are continue, can, we continue to be in what's called a secular bull market. Now, secular markets, whether they're bull or bear, are driven by forces that could be in place for many years. And so they then, therefore, cause the price of particular investments or asset classes to rise or fall over a longer period. 
Now, in a secular bull market, with such con- positive conditions as low interest rates, I'd say we have those, and strong corporate earnings, which we seem to be having in spite of the virus, are pushing stock prices higher. And again, there is no expiration date for these things, They, but multiple years. So don't be looking over your shoulder for the, uh, ooh, the market's going to stop soon. I, I, would, I wouldn't take that bet if I were you, but that's just me. So... Off to the rotation. You know, uh, stocks that rise and fall with the overall health of the economy are known as cyclical, right? They go up and they go down with the overall economy. Now, they include stocks that are considered industrials, the materials, which are energy as well, and the banks. So, this selling off of growth stocks, which is primarily the high-tech companies that <laughs> had six years of growth in six months, well, you know, can't hate them for that. Uh, well, selling them off is a mistake. They may not, in the near term, grow again as rapidly, but they're not going to go away. I mean, these guys are, you know, the leaders of the league in their respective uh, sectors. So, don't let the price necessarily dissuade you from uh, hanging on to something that's high quality like most of those. Now, my buddy Terry Sandvin, who is chief equity strategist at U.S. Bank Wealth Management, said, and I'm quoting, this is a market in which a rotation is likely to continue into the end of the year. Technology, consumer discretionary, and communication services remain their favorite sectors for the long term, unquote. Now, Growth stocks are, by definition, are those stocks that have the potential to outperform the overall market over time because of their future potential. Again, because of their relative position in their industry, because they're growing their earnings. Combination of those things typically is re- is really key to long-term uh, success. Now, value stocks are <laughs> classified as stocks with solid fundamentals, They're priced below those of their peers uh, based on an analysis of what the the P.E. ratio, the price-to-earnings ratio, the the dividend yield, and other factors. Now, these are typically mature businesses that have steady but not necessarily spectacular growth rates and pretty relatively stable revenues and earnings. And most of the value stocks pay dividends. And stocks can be a growth stock at some point, and they can be a value stock at some point, depending upon where they are in their own cycle. Now, as I said, this rotation of value began probably after Labor Day, but it soon kind of dissipated a little bit. But this week with the uh, virus, excuse me, vaccine, vaccine news, it came back with a vengeance. And I don't think it's over, meaning the rotation. Uh Now, bear in mind, we've had several false starts for value, and I am not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that you totally dump all your growth shares and get into the value stocks. Nay, nay. But uh, I think that, you know, the key is, in any regard, going forward, the market is going to place greater emphasis on valuation in general and dividends. So because as interest rates rise... One of the challenges for stocks is higher interest rates because it then become, bonds become more of a competition for stocks. So if you have a stock that pays a, a dividend, a nice dividend, and grows as well, well, um, you will continue likely to do well over time. So Monday and Tuesday, the S&P Value Index 
was up 5.3%. But the S&P Growth Stock Index was down 1.6%. That's a big difference for such a short period of time. Now, this rotation also, I believe, signals an optimistic outlook for the economy. Because in particular, you can see that in the strength of the energy shares. We kind of talked about that a minute ago. The S&P 500 Index picked up 17% on the first couple days of this past week. Now, because a recovering economy needs fuel. Now, with all due respect to um, alternate energy folks, it's going to be a long time before any of those are viable uh, <laughs> to all of us. And as a result, um, you know, it's all great that you come up with these cars that run on batteries and whatever else, but uh, until and unless we have uh, a lot of other technological advances uh, in terms of how to uh, make these things go more than 300 miles or what have you, uh, it's still going to be gas and oil, and we got a lot of that, and that's the good news. So, you know, there could be some sectors and segments of the market which may benefit more than others. Well, that's always the case. But here's a few, I think, investment implications that could happen in these next few months. The rotation to value. It's, there's an agenda, an agenda, excuse me, of fiscal stimulus would boost the earnings outlook for growth-sensitive cyclicals. However, be aware that the tax cuts in 2017 had the largest effect on the earnings and share prices of cyclicals. And many investors believe that an ill-advised corporate tax hike would weigh on those same sectors. Higher interest rates could also put pressure on stock valuations, which appear to be most stretched in the growth-oriented sectors of the economy. But with interest rates such as they are, don't be looking for those to be going up anytime soon. International stocks could outperform. Uh, we see a firmer global growth outlook, which bodes well for both international and emerging markets. The MSCI All Country World Value Index. I know you know it well. In any case, it jumped almost 6% at the start of this last week. The growth counterpart fell 2%. Why? Investors are rotating out of the defensive tech names and into the shares that have been beaten up because of the lockdown. The rotation into the cheaper value shares can also drive gains in European stocks relative to us. Uh, the European benchmark has a much higher presence of cyclical and value stocks compared to the S&P. Now, also, the Russell 2000, which tracks small cap stocks here in the U.S., jumped more than 2%, that was yesterday, and posted its first all-time closing high since August 2018. So this is not just a topical thing. This is a serious, uh, serious, uh, a, 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 a good change going on. And whereas the rotation into the cheaper value stocks did take a little bit of a breather on last Wednesday, the strategists still say there's room for for further normalization as a large part of the initial rally was driven by short covering of strategies. In other words, the people had sold short, meaning they benefit when the shares go down. Well, when the shares took off, they had to buy those shares back and that added to the uh, upward movement. Now, J.P. Morgan analysts are weighing in on the potency of the sudden change in the market leadership after the world's cheaper stocks surged the most relative to their faster-growing peers. Now, 
the current and expected economic environment, valuations, interest rates, those are just a few factors that we believe can influence market returns. So we're going to keep an eye on these kinds of things for you so that you'll hopefully have some good guidance as to um, what actions to take or not to take uh, in the foreseeable. But we're going to be talking about uh, what a lot of uh, seers uh, have in their minds for what the markets look like uh, in the next few months. Now, one thing that's going to be determined is that on the 14th of December, the Electoral College will vote. And then on January 6th, there'll be a joint session of Congress that will count and certify those votes. And we'll have a president and vice president inaugurated January 20th. The markets shall have priced in all of this before it happens, because that's what markets do. And falling uncertainty in general throughout these next several weeks, I think, is pretty bullish. And in our view, even if we have a few hiccups along the way, uh, you know, stocks don't move in a straight line. So don't get upset about it. Now, this is something that I find quite interesting and maybe confusing. Uh, non-related to the last topic, by the way. The International Center for Finance at Yale puts out what they call a crash confidence index. Okay. According to them, fewer than 15% of their respondents think no crash is going to happen. So flip it around. In other words, almost 85% of respondents think that, and I'm quoting because I guess this is how they ask the question, a catastrophic stock market crash in the U.S., like that of October 1929 or October 1987, is probable in the next six months, including the case that a crash occurred in the other countries and spreads to the U.S., unquote. Now, I don't know what they're drinking at Yale, and I don't know exactly where they get their data, but it's really not the Yaleys. It's the people that they're interviewing, which means a number of folks who <laughs> who don't listen to this program, I think, uh, and get bad bad information. But uh, I, I truly, I don't understand it. What are they basing that on? It. I can find nothing to make me. I just told you the secular bull market story. I can find nothing in the foreseeable that suggests that we are about to do the cliff drop. Uh, now, I could be proven wrong. Thank you very much. I know how that goes. But that's what I see right now. Now, the easing political concerns could sure make room for a renewed focus on the fundamentals of corporations and how the companies are navigating a business envi environment reshaped by the, the virus. And although investors anticipated an earnings rebound, the extent to which the profits have surpassed estimates, I think that could inject new confidence. Now, Citigroup's chief U.S. equity strategist, a guy named Tobias Levkovich, uh, said there are some reasons to believe this most recent rotation into value names could continue for a while. He noted that more vaccines and better therapeutics likely are coming, allowing for some return to a semblance of normal. He added that Wall Street will likely, quote, witness a significant change in business activity beginning in February, March next year due to the difficult and easy comparisons for both uh, virus beneficiaries and impaired companies, respectively, unquote. He pointed out, too, that many investors could be hesitant about this latest shift into value as previous instances have resulted in growth quick, quickly retaking the market leadership. So, if that's your feeling, 
like I said, you don't want to jump 100% into these things anyway. But the point is, perhaps you should start considering uh, rotating a chunk of your assets into uh, value-oriented uh, funds, uh, traditional mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, or individual shares uh, in order to benefit from the uh, rotation. Now, Tom Lee, uh, uh, analyst at Fundstrat, he says a move for – now, he's talking about the VIX, which is a volatility index. Um, and he says a move below 20 for the VIX would be a major risk-on signal. It would suggest that investors see lower volatility in the coming months. Well, it closed yesterday at 23.10, so it's pretty close. Now, uh, David Costin, we're going through all these analysts here. He's... Um, leading a team of uh, Goldman Sachs analysts, and he said the stock market's resilience through the pandemic and a divisive presidential campaign has, campaign has been remarkable. He said the promising vaccine news prompted Goldman to lift its stock market outlook this last week. A wave of favorable economic conditions should help the S&P surge about 20% by the end of next year. Uh, the firm hiked its year-end S&P 500 target to 3,700 from 3,600. And they also expect the uh, broad benchmark to rally to 4,300 by the end of next year, which, again, is a pretty significant gain. Now, the vaccine announcement by Pfizer provided evidence that a path to normalization exists and that would serve as a catalyst for value stock outperformance. This, again, is Goldman talking. Growth stocks should remain attractive. You know, the historical slowdown in economic growth and low interest rate environment that have supported these booming growth stocks, mostly in tech, over the past few years likely to change dramatically anytime soon. There's nothing out there to really cause that to happen. Goldman analysts uh, said uh, should continue in 2021 with estimated GDP growth of 5.3% which is pretty good when you, they're predicting a 3.9% loss for this year. So that's a significant swing, almost 10% to the good. Uh, S&P earnings would also rebound sharply next year, growing 29% after being down 17% this year. Uh, they're citing, Goldman citing, extremely positive analyst sentiment. They forecast that the Fed will not raise interest rates again until 2025. Uh, a move that encourages economic activity by keeping borrowing costs low, but does heighten systemic risks associated with massive personal, corporate, and government debt loads. Now, moving on to J.P. Morgan, they said Monday's surprise vaccine news is setting the stock market up for big gains next year, seeing the potential for S&P to surge as much as 24% from here until the end of next year. I love this guy's name, Dubravko Lakos Buhas. He's the chief equity strategist at J.P. Morgan. He says, the stock market is facing one of the best backdrops for sustained gains in years. After a prolonged period of elevated risks, the outlook is significantly clearing up. This week's positive vaccine news is a game changer in our view, as it allows the market to look through the recent surge in cases to the impending end of the pandemic and a broader reopening of the economy. The J.P. Morgan strategists are betting that the latest record shift into value stocks can endure much longer after years of lagging the growth stocks. 
They say our stock strategy team believes that we are on the cusp of a sustained rally in value compared to what we saw in 2016-17. This rotation has room to continue much further given the material underperformance we've witnessed in recent years. So once again, reinforcing this rotation thing that's going on. And now Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson said he was skeptical about Goldman's 4,300 S&P stock, excuse me, S&P 500 target for the end of this year. But he agrees that there was upside in parts of the stock market. He said, I think that's a possibility. That seems like a lot to me. The way we think about it is we think the average stock could easily be up 20%. We're into the part of the recovery now where the average stock is going to do better than the broad index. And that, by the way, typically does happen. Uh, so just understand that. We're, we're trying not to focus so much on the index level and trying to find those pockets of opportunity where stocks can go up more than 20%. Now, feigning uncertainty about throughout the next several weeks is a bullish tailwind, in my opinion, and even if there are going to be a few speed bumps along the way. Uh, as the third quarter's GDP is already shown, shown, simply getting the vast majority of businesses open again is enough to kick the economy back into gear without much additional spending and investment from our friends in D.C. You know, think like the markets. Look three to 30 months ahead. On the near end of that range, you know, we have bullish uh, uncertainty. It's the, the uncertainty is falling, which is bullish. And, and after last week's rally, the S&P has now posted an annualized gain of about 10% for 2020. Actually, it's 11%. Um, and it's probably about 13% or so, including dividends, which is right in line with the historical yearly average. So for folks in a traditional portfolio of 60% stocks, 40% bonds, returns are almost the same, a bit better than the long-term average for this strategy, but not much. So where does that leave the market now with eight weeks left in this uh, unusual year? Are we setting up for a normal rally? Well, I think uh, the best thing to do is to stick with quality, as I've always said. Maintain your positions. Do not respond to the headlines. Uh, If you need to do some tax loss selling to clean up your portfolio, Talk with your advisor about how best to do that, your advisor and your tax consultant, uh, because that can prove quite helpful to you at tax time. So I hope you've enjoyed this week, (laughs) and uh, we'll see you next week with uh, more investment news. Thank you very much for listening. This is Money Management. I'm Mike Mayo with the Spokane office of the Opus 111 Group. Opinions, forecasts, and case studies are for illustrative purposes only and may only be relevant at the time of recording. Certain sectors in the market, such as international and emerging markets, certain fixed income, including high-yield bonds, precious metals, mid- and small-company securities, have greater risks that are generally outlined in their prospectus, contract, or offering document. Any guarantees or protections offered through insurance products are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Diversification, asset allocation are no guarantees or protections against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and there is always risk associated with investment.